Business and Buckets, we are live, episode 20, big number, episode 20 coming right at you guys, uh, right off the hills of episode 19, business episode four with my guy, Percy the Barber, um, again, doing business episodes every month with entrepreneurs or business success or business-minded people that can help help each other grow. Uh, it's people helping people, that's really some some core values that I have. And those people are really able to come in the podcast here at Business Buckets in studio, doing all my interviews in studio now before I do some mobile ones and Skype uh, recordings, and really just having them tell their story, how they became an entrepreneur and what they've gone through along the way to get there, uh, to show that it's possible, uh, to show learning tricks so that you know the viewers don't have to learn uh, through all the ups and downs that, that we have, and really just provide opportunity to everybody out there. And I know my guy, Percy... Random guy I never knew before, right? Came into his barbershop, really clicked it off. I was just starting the podcast up and wanted to uh, bring him in here and have him tell his story. So if you're tuned in here, episode 20 of Business and Buckets for the weekly sports edition, make sure to check that out as well and check out the other business episodes if you haven't already, uh, as we have some really cool uh, featured guests and I have a lot more coming for you guys. So excited to keep bringing you guys weekly and monthly content. But before we talk sports, let's talk fueled supplements. Fellas, performance is at the top of the list in all categories of our lives. I know it is for me, and the competitor in me is always grinding. That's why you need to have counterattack from fueled supplements. Their advanced on-cycle and post-cycle standalone formula is so much more than the average testosterone booster. Counterattack combats estrogen production, supports liver, kidney, and heart health, as well as boosts the sex drive. Um... Energy levels and it also leans muscle mass. So let's face it, we all want to feel like a young, energized version of ourselves. Increased vitality inside and outside the gym with counterattack. Uh, the missus will thank you guys for it or all the single ladies. Don't wait, head to fieldsupplements.com and enter my promotion code buckets for 20% off. Once again, promotion code buckets for 20% off everything but protein. I know I am getting more well adverse in the field supplements uh, supplement stack. Um, things like knocked out. I've just started trying, um, really helping me sleep, really impressed by the results there, how refreshed I end up feeling the next day. Uh, so we'll keep talking about that. My text, uh, not my text deck, my, uh, supplement stack. We'll keep talking field supplements, but if you're buying supplements, go to the, to the local guys, check out my guy, Josh Morn and squad and get a discount while you're doing so. Now, Let's start with the NFL. Not a lot of headlines in the NFL world this week. The draft is right around the corner. Um, but there was some, some you know, noteworthy headlines, uh, such as Alex Smith officially retiring after his run with Washington and then signing with another team. And they just kind of medically looked at him and his health and probably was like, hey, man, we're, we're going to cut you. You should probably retire. Uh, but what a career. What a comeback story. Always great to see those comeback stories after that brutal leg injury. And uh, hands down to Alex Smith, great career, you know, never got the Super Bowl, the Lombardi, but how many guys had, had tried to chase that down and, and go for gold? Um, and then the Dolphins also, with uh, NFL draft headlines, looking to field calls for that number six overall pick. They've already traded back. They could probably trade back again, still get the player they want. I don't blame them in doing this. I would love to trade back even as a Steelers fan, and we don't have a pick till late first. So, um, you know. That in mind, I think the Cowboys are potentially looking at trading back, the Giants. So might be a lot of commotion come trade deadline time. 
or not trade deadline time, uh, draft deadline time. And then there might also be some free agents that are still left on the board uh, making moves post-draft. So lots more action to happen in the NFL the next upcoming week or so. And then uh, if you're a Seahawks fan, I live in Seattle. Some funny news. They signed Alden Smith, which I was kind of surprised the Cowboys didn't, to be honest. He's uh, a guy that hadn't played for a few years, looked really good, looked really quick, and helped Dallas but the Seahawks ended up signing him out, and now there's a warrant out for Alden Smith's arrest after joining the Seahawks. So, got to be brutal news if you're a Seahawks fan. You know, I don't know if they have any clauses within his contract. If he gets in trouble like that, it, it can, you know, take away from, from being a member of the team and some pay. Um, and then again, NFL Draft starts next Thursday, day one, which is the primetime coverage. And then day two, I believe is rounds three, four, maybe. Three, four, and five. Uh, two, I think it's two, three, maybe four. But and then the rest of the draft will be on Saturday. I'm always excited for the draft just to see what the Steelers have in mindset, where we're at, what, what we're building towards, and uh, if there's anyone that can make an impact first year. Um, rumor has it running back. If you're a Steelers fan, but uh, lots of draft coverage you'll see in the media. I know I tuned on uh, ESPN the other day and they're doing their own mock draft. So it's draft time. I love that time of year. Super excited to um, see what happens. But let's talk fights. This is really what's happening right now. You know, it's obviously almost, uh, I guess you could say, towards the end of April. Uh, gearing towards that um, spring-summertime where, where the fight world really starts kicking off with International Fight Week in July. There's been more fights announced, of course. We have Amanda Nunez defending her title against Juliana Pena. Pena called her out, said she was afraid of her. And Nunez just demolishing everybody in the class. was probably like, all right, cool, let's see what you got. Um, you know, <laughs> Nunez does Nunez things, but uh, at least she's going to stay active after a very quick performance in her last bout. And I don't think she, I don't think she took any damage in that fight. Um, Eddie Alvarez also making a quick turnaround after being DQ'd in one uh, championship. He's hinting he was hinting at boxing Oscar De La Hoya, uh, but he's turning around here and getting another fight in a couple weeks for the one promotion. And then an old face, Court McGee, Ultimate Fighter alum, is fighting Claudio Silva uh, here in a couple weeks. It'll be nice to see him back in the octagon. And then another guy I like, Billy Quarantillo versus Herbert Burns, the brother of Gilbert Burns. That fight has been announced. And then Ultimate Fighter, official start date in June. I believe it's literally June 1st. It'll be aired every Tuesday on ESPN+. Can't wait for Ultimate Fighter. We'll definitely be doing Ultimate Fighter recaps on the podcast. Not like a full dive of the recaps, but hey, you know, was there any fighters that piqued interest? Does it seem like anyone's a favorite and potentially can come in the UFC and take some names? Outside of the UFC world, Bellator 257 happened. Uh, a big, big bout for Bellator, especially when it comes to the light heavyweight Grand Prix. As champ Vadim Nemkov looking really good with the UD over Phil Davis. Phil Davis, ex-UFC fighter. Um, you know, there's conversation about how good is Vadim? Could he come in into the light heavyweight now that John Jones is out and potentially take the title from Jan Blachowicz, uh, be other guys within that lightweight division? I say, oh, easy now, pump the brakes there. I don't know if he could just come in and take out Jan Blachowicz or maybe even some of the young up-and-comers uh, um, up in that light heavyweight division, but I'm sure he would be a top-ranked guy, kind of Michael, Michael Chandler-ish. Um, but yeah, did work over Phil Davis. He's got to be one of the favorites for that light heavyweight Grand Prix. And then Corey Anderson with a technical knockout over 
Devletzan Yagshamiradov. Uh, I had obviously picked Phil Davis and Corey Anderson, ex-UFC guys. I'm a little biased there. Phil Davis not quite getting the job done. Corey Anderson getting the job done early with that TKO. And then another ex-UFC fighter, Paul Daly with a second-round knockout over Sabah Hamasi. Uh, so, you know, UFC brass doing well over in the Bellator promotion. And then uh, this will now set up for that light heavyweight Grand Prix. Ba uh, Ryan Bader versus Corey Johnson, who just won. And then Nemkov will be fighting the winner of Anthony Rumble Johnson and Yoel Romero. What a banger that's going to be. Um, and the winner of that fighting, um, Vadim, that's going to be even more fun to see really how quality of an opponent he is, even though they're saying he's probably the favorite at this point. And then outside of just, you know, the true MMA world, Triller putting on an event, Jake Paul versus Ben Askren sold over a million pay-per-views which I believe it was like half the price of a normal pay-per-view, but still fucking crazy. And I wouldn't say this was really a fight that we were tuning into. It was an event. I had it streaming on my phone, just kind of checking it out. There was concerts. There was Justin Bieber. Uh, there was Snoop Dogg. There was E-40. The judges was like uh, the Contender Series. They had Snoop Dogg on there. They had some other um, celebrities uh, just kind of bantering back and forth throughout the, throughout the evening. And then there was just a whole slew of celebrities at this event, including my guy, Sugar Sean O'Malley, the Sugar Show, uh, acted a fool with his pink suit, his little pimp cane. Um, you know, this kid came from Helena, Montana. Obviously, he is becoming a superstar in the MMA world. But even a lot of, well, we should say in the UFC world, not a lot of people watch UFC. You know, I'm a big sports guy, but there's a, a lot of the population that doesn't tune into this and doesn't really know who he is. And now with him somehow getting to be a part of Jake Paul's corner and like VIP celebrity suite that he's never met Jake Paul and team, he was there and became friends with guys like Jack Harlow. Um, he was there and making friends with lots of different celebrities, is really good friends with Jake Paul and, uh, and Logan Paul now. Uh, him and his coach, uh, Tim Welch, Timbo they call him. <clears throat> um, but it's crazy to see this kid from Helena, Montana, who's now you know hanging out with these celebrities for this event. And is literally becoming a superstar, you know, the contagious energy that Sean has and just the goofiness that he has uh, is contagious. And everybody was uh, really enjoying his company and, and our, our big fans. And it's just crazy to see how, how far he's come and how famous he's becoming. I, I enjoy Sean, though, because he's not usually a guy that goes out, right? He has his, his wife and daughter now. Um, obviously, he was turning up for that event. That's a big press event for his brand. Uh, but he's not a guy that's consistently out drinking. They stick to routine, and I think that's going to help him as a young up-and-comer. Uh, but it's just crazy to see where he's coming. He's like really famous now. I was watching the Instagram, seeing what was going on, and uh, he was right up in there. And uh, I'm sure a lot more people in the world know who Sugar Sean O'Malley is. Uh, but it's just crazy to see what you know how to bring that up from from rags to riches. Really, you know, a high school dropout. Uh, to where he is, so it just shows you that education isn't the only way. Uh, doesn't say for those young people that might be tuning in just to bail out on school, but uh, it's cool to see those stories. I'm always supporting, uh, you know, a championship type story. To that actual main event, um, well, there was one fight before that that was of note. I had picked Steve Cunningham to beat Frank Mir, ex UFC guy, fought in the bare knuckle boxing promotion. Uh, actually, it looked pretty good against Steve Cunningham. He's a little older, uh, but Steve Cunningham got the win. And then this segue into the Jake Paul-Ben Askren fight. 
Me as a MMA fight fan, obviously rooting for Ben Askren because of all of his accomplishments, but knowing that he's in his later 30s coming off hip surgery and just seeing what he's looked like the past couple years, you know, did it feel very confident finding a bigger, longer, probably stronger Jake Paul who's been focused on boxing for a long time, supposedly three years and some change, where Ben Askren, who was never a striker at all, even when he beat the better fighters, is now get, gets 11 weeks to try to prepare for Jake Paul. I was going to bet on uh, Ben Askren because he was an underdog, but the odds didn't pay enough. I did pick Jake Paul on the show uh, just because I figured that as long as he doesn't try to come out and knock Ben Askren out right away because Ben got in his head a little bit, you know, he's going to be the better boxer last longer over time. And it didn't even make it that far. Uh, ben looked lost in the sauce in there. Uh, had a couple nice one-twos. Uh, Jake was just filling him out with that that length reach advantage. Threw a couple jabs. One-two right down the pipe. And that's all she wrote. As soon as you know it, Ben Askren is globally a meme again in the fighting world. I had tweeted out on the Business and Buckets account that Ben Askren has two big paydays in his career. Both of them becoming one of the biggest memes in the fighting world. Uh, the first one being that Jorge Masvidal fight that I saw in person for my birthday, which was sweet. Uh, he got need fastest knockout in UFC history. And now he loses to a YouTuber and ex-Disney star. I'm sure that's got to be brutal. But at the end of the day, he's hugging his wife. He's hugging his family. He just got one of the bigger paydays. Actually, I think he even said the biggest payday of his career. Um, but I enjoyed the event. It was just kind of like a fun celebrity concert. It seemed like we're a bunch of rich people kick it, got together and had a good time. Um, obviously, I was more interested in the UFC fights uh, and Bobby Knuckles and Kev Kelvin Gastelum, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but it was a pretty cool spect spectacle. I'd keep tuning in. I'm excited to see what happens to Jake Paul next. Uh, hopefully, he doesn't try to you know, fight a real fighter. He'll probably get his ass whooped. But we'll see what happens. I saw the whole Tyron Woodley thing. You know, If he fought Tyron Woodley, he'd get pieced up. Boxing fight or MMA, obviously, but these guys will never go to MMA. Um, but e either way, props to Triller. It was fun. I don't see how they're profiting, though, as that event must have cost a shit ton of money. So we'll see what happens next to them in the future as they're trying to figure that brand out. Uh, the big you know, the big names are Jake Paul now and Mike Tyson. Um, moving on to UFC uh, Vegas 24, a free event with some pretty good fights. We had Jessica Penne defeat Lupita Godinez via split decision. I know that it was hard for me to make this decision. Uh, I ended up putting Penne in my parlay. But the tough thing is like, you know, Penne being older, coming off USADA, not having fought for the past few years. What's she going to look like? How seriously has she been training? And she won via split decision. So it's not like she just pieced up Lupita, uh, who's a very young undefeated fighter. Um, and I figured her, her experience would be enough to get the job done. Um, she outstriked Lupita 98 to 68, even though Lupita had to take down advantage of three to one. So really the advantage was on her feet, uh, much like I expected. Good to see her back in the octagon and you can't write these older fighters off. We'll talk about Andre Arlovsky here in a minute. Who's 42 years old. Um, but yeah, I mean, people grow and learn and a lot of people don't even get into professional fighting until they're a little bit later in their twenties. Obviously that wasn't the case for Penne, but Good to see her back in the octagon looking, you know, de decent as a fighter in return after such a long layoff. Uh, tough loss for Lupita, but she's so young in her career, she'll be fine. She'll get back up on her feet. If anything, that might be a confident booster fighting someone who's fought championship type caliber competition and, and you were able to, to hang in there. 
And then one of my more favorite prelims and one of the my favorite fights of the night actually was Luis Pena getting a split decision over Alexander Munoz. Munoz really, you know, well, first off, this was the first fight on the main card, right? Free fight, Vegas. And boy, was it a fucking fight to start off the main card. I was getting hyped, man. I mean, Munoz came out with a hot start, got some big shots landed. I was like, oh, shit. You know, I got Penes, my first fight on the parlay. This is my guy, uh, Pena. Like, I, I, you know, the, the violent uh, Bob Ross is his nickname. Don't knock my guy out real quick. Like, I can't be losing that fast. Um, but as he kind of weathered the storm of Munoz, he just started piecing him up. He was using his reach advantage. He was doing nice head kicks. He was licking fluid in there. Uh, but Munoz held his ground. He's a tough son of a bitch. He was throwing bombs of his own right. But I liked the way violent Bob Ross was mixing it up. And he had more strikes overall throughout the fight and more significant strikes. Round two, round three, you could tell Munoz is getting a little gassed and and Pena was still piecing him up. There was a few times where Pena had him buzzing, you know, a little out of his head, a little unsure, that I think he should have just kept going and finished the fight. He did not. He would kind of let him recover and then go piece him up again. You know, I'm not sure if he was unaware that he was so rocked, uh, Munoz, or if he was just trying to not, because he probably felt some of that Munoz power early. Maybe he didn't want to go in there and, and get caught with a counter or something of that nature. Uh, but I thought he could have finished the fight, so that was a little bit of a bummer. But sick fucking fight, start to finish. Munoz did have four takedowns, a lot of those coming later when he was gassed. And there was a lot of control time. It was like, oh shit, Pena's piecing me up. Let me get the legs, takes him down. Pena scoots up, gets off the cage, starts piecing him up again. So it wasn't like he had taken a lot of control time. And I think that was uh, big in the judge's decision as this was a split decision. Um, you know, not a unanimous, but regardless. And then now looking forward for these fighters, I think both these fighters got a pretty bright future. Pena should be around the top 35 in this division. And I wouldn't mind seeing him versus like a veteran, Clay Guida, Jim Miller, uh, good, you know, stylistic uh, matchups, uh, get somebody for Luis that has some good experience, uh, somewhat of a winnable fight that could pull vault him uh, right outside the, the top rankings and getting some really quality opponents. Cause although he is somewhat of a younger UFC fighter, he has been in the ultimate fighter. He has been in and out of things, has battled injuries. Uh, I feel like he's sharp enough to be moving up the rankings and I'm excited to see where he goes next. Moving on, we had Tracy Cortez with a split decision over Justine Kish, which, you know, this was in the women's flyweight division, which we'll see the champion Valentina Shevchenko fighting this upcoming weekend. Uh, but I thought this was a great showing for that women's flyweight division. You look at some of the other women's divisions, there's like people in the top 15 by product of there's not a lot of other fighters in the division. And this isn't the case in this lightweight division. There are some quality women here. And for two girls that I ha haven't seen a lot of, they looked really good, just their physique, their strength, their energy. I was very impressed uh, for some women that are outside the top 15. And Cortez had the advantage of total strikes and had three takedowns, was able to get the victory. Another split decision, good fights to start the card. I was hyped to say the least, as we still had th uh, three more fights left in this free, again, free main event. Um, we had Jacob Malkoon with a unanimous decision over Abdul. <laughs> I had... Uh, my friend had messaged me early in the week, said, hey, give me a lock for this weekend's UFC uh, in a parlay. And I was like, cool, here's a safe lock. I didn't put Abdul in yet because I hadn't yet recorded the podcast or done my research. And I don't like putting my parlays until later in the week because 
you've seen so many fighters have to pull out due to COVID or, you know, some shit happens. The Jeremy Stevens, Jakar Close fight was supposed to be one of my favorites on this card. It got called called off because on the way in, supposedly Close got too close. It pissed Jeremy Stevens off. He shoved Close, whiplashed his neck after just cutting weight, which these guys are cutting a lot of weight. Supposedly got a concussion, wasn't able to fight. You know, like, that's fucked up. If I had put that fight in my parlay, um, you know, it's going to affect my payout. So I like to make them more last second just because of there's so many variables making way, COVID, uh, that a lot of fights are getting called off. Um, speaking into that one, though, that's kind of fucked up with Jeremy Stevens. He's a vet in the sport. He's been here for a long time. Like, what are you doing? That guy just cut his weight. You cut your weight. Prepare for this fight. Now it's not happening because of that. I hope they do re reschedule it, but... Yeah, that was just kind of a weird thing that happened. Um, if you think that's kind of weird that just a shove could give you a concussion. Also think this guy's walking around like 90, 190 pounds, probably cutting 30 pounds. Um, yeah, you're probably dehydrated. You have nothing in you. Like your body is like you've seen some people collapse in weigh-ins because they're cutting so much weight. So I'm not too shocked, but uh, shitty circumstances. Hope they rematch just so close can try to get some revenge on Jeremy. Um but this was the fight that I ended up adding on my parlay last minute because I was like, man, this Abdul guy has some fucking serious power, and boy, did he fuck me over. Um, just, to, just to give you some insight, if I wanted to pick this, I could have won thirteen hundred on fifty bucks. But I ended up throwing this in, getting greedy, trying to win closer to two grand. Um, clearly, <laughs> Jacob Malku didn't want anything to do with Al Hassan's power and just wrestled him out of the gate. Uh, he threw a couple of punches just to keep um, Abdul guessing, but I don't think Abdul maybe late in the fight had a couple opportunities, but I don't think he ever threw a power punch. Um, Alcoon just took him down, rode him out. He's a big buff guy, just sucked out that energy. And in round two, like Abdul could like Jacob was barely trying to keep him down. Abdul would get up to his knees but was so tired he couldn't stand up from his knees, which is pretty crazy to think about. So Malcoon would just throw him in a guillotine, which if you know guillotine, the best way to get out of it is roll out and roll through, which then gives your, your back up, but at least you're not going to tap because you're stuck here and, and choked out. So he would roll, get to his knees, was way too tired to stand up, put him back in a guillotine, and it was just, a, you know, put that on a, a, on a repeat loop fucking video because that's really what the fight was. It was super bummer. Uh, I didn't get to see any of this Abdul power, but we'll see what happens with these guys moving forward. Um, Abdul's got to figure out, you know, this is going to be like the Kevin Holland treatment. Guys are just going to wrestle him. He's got to either figure out his wrestling takedown or he's got to focus on that cardio because he was so fucking tired round two, let, around, let alone round three. He could barely do anything. Um, and Malcoon, good win for him. He's a young fighter with a good record. I'm sure he'll keep moving up the ranks. Uh, but super bummer fight here as I wanted to see these guys strike. But I wouldn't want to fuck with Abdul's power either. I'd take him down. And then we have the vet, Andre Arlovsky, with the unanimous decision over Chase Sherman. Another fucking great fight on this card. This was back and forth. Loved the action. And much like the Luis Pena fight, Sherman looked good early. Um, you know, this was a UD, so obviously they gave Arlovsky that round. But, like... He came out, was aggressive, landed some hits, and Arlovsky showed that he was, like, trying to figure out Chase a little bit to try to figure out his spots. And um, you could tell that he grinded out this younger man in Chase Sherman and found his openings. Um, as the fight got, you know, it was only a three-round fight. As it got late, you could see uh, Sherman was frustrated because 
Arlovsky was fighting smart. He wasn't in there just to throw hands. I mean, the guy's 42 years old. He's fought anyone and everyone. He's right outside the top 15 to uh, make one more run in his career. Uh, he's not just going to sit in the middle of the octagon and throw down, right? Well, Sherman, a.k.a. the Vanilla Gorilla, started getting frustrated, was trying to call him out, uh, would be aggressive, start coming to Arlovsky. Arlovsky would piece him up, keep circling. Arlovsky ended up landing 190, 199. Holy shit, that'd be crazy. 109 to 99 strikes on Sherman um, and 105 to 88 significant strikes. So both fighters landing, uh, but Arlovsky with uh, a lot higher volume. And now this puts Arlovsky literally right outside the top 15 in heavyweight. If you don't know, he is an ex-champion of the division. Um, I wouldn't imagine him fighting too soon as he's fought three times in eight months. Um, and has been very active in his career, especially at 42 years old. But he's just a badass and is fun to watch, so I can't wait to see what he's next. But he's fought damn near everyone in that division. Um, whoever he ends up fighting, you know, I'll be tuning in. I can't wait. But, yeah, I'm not too sure what he would do and who he would fight. Maybe some guys that he, you know, right outside, the, right inside the top 15, like Alexi Olenek. Um, he's already, he just lost to Tom Aspinall, who's 13. Uh, maybe Sergi Pavlovich, number 14. And I, I I don't have his record up right in front of me from the research. I don't think he fought those two, but maybe he has. So, you know, I'd expect him to take a little bit of time off, maybe fight later half of this year. Uh, but what a fucking stud. What a badass. He keeps on winning, ladies and gentlemen. And then we have the main event. You know, this is kind of crazy. This is a main event on a free fight, not on a pay-per-view. I love me some Robert Whitaker. I think he's flown under the radar since he lost to Izzy. People thought, you know, maybe he was overrated. Maybe he's too egregious. Uh, he keeps getting caught. But, I mean, the guy's been on a tear. He's fought really good competition like Darren Till and pieced them up. And I think this was the best version of Robert Whitaker we've seen. And I just I told you guys before this fight, the best chance of beating Izzy is a Robert Whitaker matchup uh, rematch. And I think after this fight... I'm going to have to do some serious thinking of who I'm going to pick in that next fight. I mean, Bobby Knuckles is the fucking real deal. I'm telling you guys. Um, but this was more of what I expected. You know, clearly he wasn't motivated when he was just winning. He'd basically been unscathed his whole career. Then Izzy came in and fucked him up because he's looking for that belt. And um, I think he's continually improving and innovating in every single fight we've seen since the Izzy fight, which... If we know Izzy, his strengths are innovation, right? Being unorthodox, thinking a little bit strategically and differently versus just trying to come at you. Um, with what Whitaker do has done, is it enough to be Izzy? That's a whole conversation we could have when that rematch is booked because that's clearly the next fight. Um, you know, it's hard to tell. Time will tell. Uh, but I think he's, he's thrown some things and has some tricks up his sleeve that um, it's going to be a fucking dog fight and what what about kelvin gaslam fucking heart of a champion looked improved himself looked great cardio wise was able to battle was taking the hits was given some hits uh but it just seemed like whitaker was always a step ahead uh but he's fucking tough as nails i don't think well i guess the rankings just got updated so let's see yeah so he hasn't changed in the rankings he's still number eight well let me refresh middleweight yeah, still number eight in the rankings. Obviously, Whitaker's not going to change because he was the number one contender. Um, I can't wait to see what he does. I, I, I love Kev Kelvin Gaslam. You know, he is fighting in his prime. He's 29 years old. Technically, you're fighting prime. It's like 29 to 32. Um, 
and he's coming off a stretch where he was four and five. So like he's gone through some shit, but he has fought some dogs, like some straight fucking dogs. He fought Izzy, he's fought Whitaker. So I can't wait to see what 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 he has going up for him next. You know, he could be fighting guys like maybe a Derek Brunson who's who's in a revival late in his career. Um I wouldn't even mind seeing him fight Vittori, right? Fight Vittori, see what happens there. You guys might get a shot at the, at the title or Vittori can. Because uh, he can wrestle, he could strike, he could do a little bit of everything. But I was just almost as equally impressed with the improvement of Gasolum as I was Whitaker. But Whitaker, like, people are sleeping on him. Like, he's that fucking guy. Like, if anyone could be Izzy, I know I've said this like five times, but this is the guy that can do it. Um, but yeah, Vittori versus Gasolum, could you imagine? I doubt that happens. Um, maybe him against Jared Cannonier, the killer gorilla could be a good fight. Regardless, this division's interesting. Kel- Kelvin shouldn't get too much slap of the wrist on this one. Um, but he's got to start collecting some wins if he wants to have a chance within his prime. I expect him to do that depending on who he gets put up against. Um, but fuck, I cannot wait for that Izzy Robert Whitaker, Bobby Knuckles rematch. Holy shit. What a good fight. Uh, some quick statistics for you guys in this fight. Whitaker landed 169 total strikes to 150 of those being significant. So he was throwing some knuckles at Kelvin. He was throwing, doing some damage. And Kelvin was rocked a couple times, like absolutely. And I think he had Whitaker rocked one time. But what a dope five-round event. Super excited. Um, yeah, the day that fight gets booked, I hope it's another three-title fight fucking main event. They talked about... Um, Izzy fighting on the same card as Uspin and um, Francis to having the three Nigerians. What a fucking main event that would be. Izzy, Whitaker, Ngannou would probably fight John Jones at that point, and then Usman beats Masvidal and maybe fights, I don't know, a rematch of Colby or some shit. But that would be some fireworks. We got another UFC this Saturday, though, baby. We got back-to-back-to-backs. Like I said, it's that time of year. And uh, UFC 261, this isn't a free event. This doesn't handle uh, a non-championship event. This is a three-title, jam-packed, must-see event with two women's bouts, which for a lot of fans would be like, oh, yeah, okay, it's a women's fight. But these aren't no ordinary women's bouts, and we'll talk about that. Um, Let's start prelims, though. We got Brendan All-In Allen, the 25-year-old gentleman with a 15-3 record. Versus Carl Baby K Robertson, 30 years old with a 9-3 record in the middleweight class. These are guys outside the top 15, quality opponents. This is another deep division with a lot of quality UFC fighters. Uh, Allen himself supports uh, Black Belt and BJJ, and he's a contender series alum, which we're seeing more and more of those. The people that usually get those contracts perform pretty well in the UFC. And Robertson's a kickboxer, kickboxer. Also coming from the Contender Series. Surprise, surprise. Well, Allen's rolling with wins over Kevin Holland, Kyle Dawkins, and just lost to Sean Strickland via TKO in the second, which was a catchweight bout at 195 pounds. Wasn't a normal circumstance. Robertson's coming off a loss versus Marvin Vittori, who's a fucking killer. Last summer, which was a first-round rear naked choke submission, he took him down, just blasted through him, and got that, got that neck. Like I said, both fighters right outside the top 15, but I think this is an awesome stylistic matchup, awesome way to start the prelims. 
To be honest, this event, the main card stack, the prelims, not so much. This was a fight that stuck out to me in the prelims, though. I'm taking Brendan all in Allen in this fight, but I think he's got to be careful of Baby K's power, and I think uh, it'll be an awesome way to start the start the, the prelims and will be a great stylistic matchup. One other prelim, we have Alex Cowboy Oliveira, who I believe about a month ago was supposed to fight, had some COVID complications with an opponent, got a new uh, opponent booked, and is on UFC 261, which I'm sure he's happy about because it's got to be a bigger payday. Well, Cowboy is 33 years old with a 22-9-1 record, and he will be squaring off against Randy Rudeboy Brown, with uh, the 30-year-old man with a 12-4 record. We all know Cowboy is the orthodox Muay Thai fighter. He's also got a blue belt in BJJ. Randy has a purple belt, be, you know, besting him up there. Uh, but both fighters here are coming off a loss. Should be another fun stylistic matchup, and both guys have fought a lot in the division over their course of their career, so they were bound to cross paths eventually. Um, I'm just happy to see uh, Cowboy back in there, as you know he's been booked, I believe, a couple times until this has happened. You know, fingers crossed, it's not official yet until literally they fight because of all the complications that could happen. Uh, but I'm going to take Alex in this fight. I like his experience and, and recent opponents a little bit more. Obviously, Randy did fight Vittori, who's a savage, but that was one of his better opponents, and he got he got, he got finished pretty early. Uh, so I'm going to take Cowboy here. Not as confident as the Brandon Allen pick. And we'll see what I do with my parlay. I probably will leave this one off and put Brandon Allen in. Then we have the main card from top to bottom. We have Anthony Lionheart Smith, the number six ranked fighter. 32 years old with the 34 and 16 record. Versus Jim Crute, the number 13th ranked fighter. 25 years old, young buck with a 12 and 1 record. This is no... <laughs> Nothing new for Anthony Smith. Well, Crute, another Contender Series alum, with wins over Sam Alvey and Paul Craig, but this is the biggest jump in his competition. I really do like me some Lionheart. I know he's gone through a couple tough beatings, especially that Teixeira fight where he got waxed, uh, but I think he's continually improving even though he, you know, is in that, you know, young 30s, but still in his prime and, and has a lot of wear and tear on his body. Um... He's got to get back in the win in the saddle though and get that win streak going. That division's open with John Jones out, and I'm sure he he feels that. Glover Teixeira is not getting younger. Jan Blachowicz isn't getting any younger. Um, his his tough losses were against John Jones, Glover Teixeira, and a really fucking stud up and comer Alexander Raychik. Um, what a fucking badass he is. Anyways. Anthony's going to have to watch out for the big shot, but I think this ex the experience and hunger that he has will prevail for him to move back up into a contender ranking. So I am going to take Anthony Smith in this bout, but he better watch out for that power of Jim Crook because if he gets caught sleeping, he's going to get his light shut off. Um, Smith, I'm sure we all know, has a black belt in BJJ, and Crook is an orthodox fighter with a black belt as well. 25-year-old black belt, little bit of a, a little bit of a stud. I will say this, Jim Crook gets this win. He's right in the contender status. Watch out. We got some young up-and-comers in this division. Holy shit. We got guys like Alexander Raychik, who's number two. Dominic Reyes, number three. Uh, Magomed Akaleev, number seven. Yeah, so this, <laughs> this class is not short of young up-and-comers. You even have Jamal Hill at 15, Jim Crook 13. So... The time is now for Anthony Smith. You got to take advantage. I'll put my money on you. I'll put you in my parlay. Let's book it. 
What a fight this one is. This is the last non-title fight of the, the main event. And I don't know if this would be a better fight today or six years ago. I was trying to decide that. But it might be a better fight today, which is even crazier. We got Uriah, Primetime Hall, the number ninth ranked fighter, 36 years old with a 17-9 and record, versus Chris All-American Weidman, the number 11th ranked fighter, 36 years old, with the 15 and 5 record. Pretty similar records, pretty similar in kind of their background, except Uriah Hall missed out on a, a championship opportunity. Um, Chris Weidman, I felt like, was definitely a victim of right place, right time. Not a victim because he ended up winning the title. Um, but these two have actually fought a long time ago. They fought back in 2010 uh, before the UFC. And Weidman won via a TKO in the first round. If you watch the UFC countdown, they have the main countdown that has all the title fights and they had a separate one for Uriah Hall and Chris Weidman because it's that big of a deal. And, you know, Hall was definitely a late bloomer coming into fighting. Uh, he's an Ultimate Fighter alum. That's how I learned about him and was super hyped on him then. And he's really kind of had this, you know, he hasn't made himself into a contender and a, and a, cha- a title holder uh, but he's always had some flair, some awesome stylistic abilities that's made him a fan favorite. And he said that he was just too tempted. Like, basically, that Weidman fight, if he beat, beat Weidman at the time he was getting a UFC contract, didn't happen. Obviously, nerves got to him, which seems like he's he battles some nerve issues. Um, but both fighters are coming off wins and haven't been as active as they were early in their career, obviously. Um, Hall is second-degree black belt in Kaiushin Karate and blue belt in BJJ. Weidman, in his own right, is a black belt in BJJ under Matt Serra and Renzo Gracie. He's a D1 wrestler and former UFC champion. Like I said, uh, um, Uriah Hall, an Ultimate Fighter alum who fought Kelvin Gastelum, who <laughs> just fought uh, in the championship and lost. Um, I'm giving Hall the edge at this point in his career and on the, on the feet as a striker. I think he is a better striker. Uh, he's fought opponents that are wrestlers, has, has you know, improved his game over the years on his wrestling takedown and his own wrestling. So I think he'll be able to uh, shug off Weidman enough, not saying that Weidman won't get his takedowns, uh, but I think he's going to have enough striking advantage. And I think is honestly better at this point in his career than Weidman. So that's why I'm going to go with uh, Amber Alert. Uh-oh. That's why I'm going to go with that uh, pick, because I really think Uriah Hall at this point in his career is, is the sharper fighter. But what a fucking great fight today, and this would have been a great fight five, six years ago. I'm excited for this one. Was super excited once this got announced because Uriah Hall was supposed to fight somebody else a couple months ago. Now we have the two women's fights. My favorite women's fighter of all time, we have Valentina the Bullet Shevchenko at 33 years old, sporting a 20-3 and record, versus Jessica Andrade, the number one contender, uh, new to this division, 29 years old with a 21 and eight record. Um, if you watch Shevchenko very much, she hasn't really been challenged in this in this weight class. Uh, she has a five reach, five inch reach advantage in Adraj, who's definitely a smaller fighter for this division. Um, who is a Muay Thai Taekwondo fighter, has boxing, kickboxing, and judo background as well. Shevchenko well rounded everywhere. And is on a six-fight win streak after loss after a loss to Nunez, who holds two of her three defeats. And in the second bout was somewhat controversial. It reminds me a lot of the BJ Penn GSP matchups. First one GSP clearly won. Second one 
You know, they gave it to him, but I, I don't know. It was closer than people think. Um, so this really, I think, she gets this win, gives her an opportunity to fight Nunez, and I think that's what fight fans want is that's really the only good competition for Shevchenko and Nunez, um, and I think Shevchenko definitely has an edge. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens and if that fight does formulate or not. But Andrade, uh, who had the title with a slam finish from Thug Rose Namajunas, who's fighting as well, has changed divisions for a chance at the title. Uh, she said she feels more comfortable in this weight class. She's obviously lost to Rose. She's lost to Wei Lei, and she's lost to Joanna. Uh, so she had to make a change if she wanted to be a title holder. Um, she has boxing, BJJ, and Muay Thai background herself and has the power really to finish anyone. Um, you know, I don't think she's as clean and as a precise of a striker as Shevchenko by any means as she got outstruck by those other women, uh, Joanna, Rose, and Wei Lei, especially Rose. Uh, Rose was piecing her up. She ended up getting her and getting a, a slam finish. That's just the boorish, bullish power that she has. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't think that... Yeah, I want to say this could be a tough fight for Valentina, but I don't think it's going to be, honestly. Um, she would have to land a, a clean open shot or wrestle Shevchenko and somehow be able to slam her like she did Thug uh, Rose, and I just don't see that happening. Um, but I'm excited for this. It is intriguing. Andrade lands something you never know. Um, can Valentina t take it? She's not faced that kind of power uh, of late. But I'm taking Shevchenko easily in the parlay. She's a pretty big-time favorite. Book it up. Now, this is, to me, the fight of the night in the women's division. We have Zhang Magnum Wele, 31 years old. People forget she's 31. She's not no spring chicken. With a 21-1 record versus my pick, Rose Thug Namajunas, 28 years old, the number one contender with a 10-4 record. I've been a Rose fan ever since the Ultimate Fighter. I remember when she came on the Ultimate Fighter, I was like, this girl has that it factor. And the last person I said that had that was John Jones. And I was like, yeah, he'll have the title in five years. He got it in a year. You know, Rose followed more of the path. I said in a few years she will. In a few years she did. She had lost it. Now she's trying to get it back. Well, Rose has a black belt in Taekwondo and Karate with a brown belt in BJJ. Um, in The Ultimate Fighter, she lost to the uh, champion Carla Esparza at the time. This is when women's UFC was really just, you know, taking shape. And Carla Esparza was a badass, used her wrestling and volume to beat the shit out of women. And Rose really wasn't ready for that level of wrestling yet. At that moment, though, I knew she'd be a champ with the unorthodox thing she was doing, her striking, her spinning attacks. And then she did a flying arm bar. And I was like, holy shit. This girl is next level. You can't teach that because she was so raw in her career and the pure striker that she was. You could tell she didn't have that high-level training that when she does get that high-level training, she's going to be amazing. And uh, she hasn't lost since 2016 minus that slam from Madraj, uh, who she was beating the shit out of at the time. And Waylay in her own right, purple belt and BJJ, had the best women's fight ever, in my opinion, with Ioana. Uh, really showed her heart, determination, and will to win. I did think you could very easily give that fight to Joanna, though, even though I'm not mad that Waylay got that fight. Um, there's other fights that I'm like, eh, I'm more mad that they got that. Like the Shevchenko, Nunez, I'm not mad that they gave it to Nunez. I'm not mad that Waylay won that fight, but my heart told me that um, Joanna won that fight. It's probably hard to give someone that has a fucking hematoma on her head <laughs> the win in a fight, I guess. I don't know. 
Um, she's gone through a lot of uh, challenges though with COVID and China and you know how strict they were when that shit started, you know, border crossing, traveling. Uh, she's on a 21, five, 21 fight win streak and five, the five of those being in the UFC and the fight of the year candidate, clearly best strikers in that division and top five of women's MMA all time. This is going to be a banger. The stylistic matchup here, watching the fucking um, embedded. I was like, dang, Zhang looks sharper and stronger than she normally does. And her coach talks about one of her kind of things and, and things she uh, obsesses with is beating her opponents at their best traits. So I expect this to be a, a stand-up game. I don't expect this to go to the ground a lot. And most likely will probably be a five-round fucking murder banger. Someone might get finished. It's going to be tough as uh, Thug Rose and Zing Weilei don't usually get finished unless Andrade slams you to your head. But yeah, I'm more excited about this than anything. I'm taking Rose. She's the underdog. I got to stick with my girl. Uh, you know, this is more of a 50-50 fight. So if you take Zing Weilei, you know, don't be don't be too upset about. It. I'm not too upset about it. Uh, but what a fucking banger. I'm, I cannot stop thinking about this fight and the ways it's going to play out. I think Rose is going to be precise enough to get the job done. Uh, but she's got to watch out because Zhang Weilang does pack a punch. Uh, but yeah, this is a, you know, if you're a fighting fan, this is a fucking fight. This is, these women's precision and level of striking is better than some men's. Like they are fucking sharp with it. And you're, you're about to find out. If you don't know, you're about to find out. And that's without the main event. We got Kamaru, the Nigerian nightmare, Usman, 33 years old, 18-1 record, fucking savage, versus Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. I've been watching, I told you guys, I think two weeks ago, uh, Jorge Masvidal's new YouTube. He's just basically been video blogging since COVID, what's been going on, and it's pretty intriguing. He's a number four ranked fighter, 36 years old. People forget he's 36. No spring chicken either. Uh, 35 and 14 record. The last fight, the drama was Masvidal filled in for Gilbert Burns, who tested his coach tested positive for COVID on six days notice, took the fight, had to go to Abu Dhabi, first fight in Abu Dhabi, battling COVID, had to cut, I think, 20 pounds in six days. He showed it on his video blog, looked pretty brutal. Is that the difference maker in this fight? If he has more time, he could scheme things up. He's in better shape. Is that going to make the difference? I just don't think so. Like people forget Usman is one of those guys. When I mean those guys, I mean like certified savage, multiple time title holder, goat conversation. And he's one of them. Uh, he's just too well-rounded. And I've seen him take damage from big fighters. Um, and, he, and he makes it through the fight and, and, and smothers people. Um, you know, obviously, Masvidal can use this blame as a disadvantage. At the same time, Usman had to take a new opponent in six five, six days' notice, right? And had to and change up schematics. Sure, he had a camp. Sure, he was probably in better shape. Um, but I don't know if that disadvantage is big enough to, like, shift the tide all the way that Usman is uh, going to lose this fight. I just think he's too skilled, and ex I just expect too much of the same of what we've already seen. And that first fight... You know, Masvidal did land some shots um, and held his ground in that fight. And I expect a lot of the same in this fight. He's been training with Bo Nickel from Penn State. Badass wrestler that's really been helping him on his ground game. Helped him before the last fight a little bit as well. And there's some good wrestlers at AT&T. 
Um, I just don't know if it'll be enough. You can practice wrestling in a short amount of time. Like he's been doing this less than a year, at least uh, since last summer, but Usman's been doing this for, for his whole career. So, I mean, there's just levels, there's levels to this game levels. You think, you know, then you get Usman. You're like, Oh, there is levels. I thought I was here, here. I'm really here. Right. Um, can Kamaru come out with a new strategy and mix it up a little bit to avoid the big shots though? This is the one thing I'm a little scared of if I'm an Usman fan. He has taken some shots, guys. He has taken some fucking shots. He took Gilbert Burns' best shot. And you could tell he was phased. He's taken shots from Masvidal. He's not as old as Masvidal. He's only 33, technically still in his prime. But how many more shots can he take, right? This thing, no matter who you are, has X amount of shots. Is he more on this part of the gauge or is he here? If he's here, this is an easy Usman win. If he's here, you know, sometimes people get to that gauge where like Chuck Liddell status, you get touched on the nose and you're fucking, your legs are weak and you're knocked out, right? Our brain and head can only take so many so much damage. And I've seen Usman in this title reign take some fucking damage. That's really the question. Well, Masvidal is a boxer and kickboxer out of AT&T. When I say ATT, American top team. And he's previously fought in the Bellator and Strikeforce promotions. He's been around, right? He's 36 years old. He's the holder of the BMF belt, the baddest motherfucker belt. He beat Diaz for that. Well, he didn't beat. He fucking mopped Nate for that. And uh, he's known for that fastest knockout in UFC history. The need had been asked, and I believe it was four seconds, charging me, not just a regular one. Usman himself is a black belt in BJJ, a D2 wrestler, an Ultimate Fighter alum. I love my Ultimate Fighter alums. Contender Series alums doing pretty good, but those guys that make it through Ultimate Fighter, they're just built different. We're talking multiple fights in literally just a couple weeks or training with the best. Like You have to live with these fucking guys. If you can mentally and strengthfully make it through, you're a tough son of a bitch. Um, Usman's on a 17-fight win streak. And really, like I, I, I've said before, he's on that GSP-like level. He's in the same class. A couple more title fights, some big fights. Like he, He's in that GOAT conversation, hands down. I think he is now. And after this, since he won't move up to fight Izzy, right? If Whitaker takes out Izzy, maybe he has an opportunity to move up in weight classes. But I just don't know what would be next for him as he's really cleaned house in this division. Like Maybe a rematch with Colby, which was a good fight. You know, maybe Gilbert Burns gets another shot. Maybe Leon Edwards impresses, gets a shot against Steven Thompson. But then the rest of the division, I just don't see it happening. Maybe uh, Michael Chiesa has improved so much in a different division that he has a chance. But, you know, you beat Jorge. I just don't know what's next for you to lament your legacy without moving classes. And it sucks that Izzy is the next class because it's going to take away from some of Usman's shine, in my opinion. Well, two more fight nights after UFC 261. Then we have UFC 262. Within those fight nights, we got the return of TJ Dillashaw. Can't wait to see that against Corey Sanhagen. What a fucking brawl that's going to be. But summertime is fight time, baby. And I can't wait for these next fights. I can't wait for this weekend. I'll be having my popcorn, my Twitter up. That Zhang, Weilei, Rose Nama Yunus fight. Holy shit, can't wait. We'll all be having fun. But let's switch gears and talk NBA because the NBA is getting interesting too as this condensed season playoffs are right around the corner. Well, BNB fans, as we near the NBA playoffs, things are getting intriguing. I feel like 
Last year was pretty much open because of the bubble, different circumstances. Still not quite a regular season with a condensed schedule. But with injuries and the way things are playing out, the East and West, the, really the doors are open. Any team has an opportunity if they click at the right time, get healthy at the right time. And as a basketball fan, that's all you could ask for. I hate when we know who's going to win the championship at the start of the year, and that's the way it rolls. Uh, so, hey, you know, if you're a basketball fan, it's going to be quite the finish. Super excited to see what happens. But some quick um, headlines and news points. LaMelo Ball is cleared for personal work uh, to return, which is huge, uh, as the Hornets still are in the stand, uh, playoff situation. Uh, right now, the Hornets are eighth. Let's see, two games back of six to avoid the play-in game. So you get LaMelo back, you get some health back. You know, he's not going to be back right away. He still has to get cleared. But with the near future before playoffs, even if you are in the play-in game, you're way better suited than you are without him. So uh, interesting headline there. And then AD supposedly is very close to return with the Lakers that are now fifth in the West. They stand two and a half out from the fourth place Nuggets. So... It's going to be tricky for them to be able to move up in the rankings, but at least with AD coming back, they could potentially avoid the slip in playing in a play-in game, which they are only two games away from being there. So, huge news if you're a Lakers fan. A um, couple other injuries to note. Uh, the Pacers, Miles Turner out indefinitely with the toe injury. I'm not too sure if the Pacers are interested in the play-in game as they sit in the ninth spot and you know were a lot higher earlier or if they're wanting to get into the lottery. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Washington is two games out from the Pacers trying to climb their way in, and Toronto is two and a half. So could be some shakeup there at the bottom of the East. Um, obviously, Donovan Mitchell scared the shit out of me. Um, on initial replay, and the announcers were talking, it could have been a knee. I uh, ended up being an ankle sprain, low ankle sprain, which is even better. So he has a week time frame, should be back uh, potentially this weekend, early next week. Uh, before they play the Suns, because the rest of their schedule is pretty pretty simple. They got the Rockets, they got the Timberwolves, got some got some easy teams coming up. Uh, the Kings, so hopefully they can you know avoid um, slipping down the rankings while Donovan gets healthy, which could be a blessing in disguise. And then uh, CP3 obviously was at fifth with Magic Johnson on the all times assist record. Was able to pass him, passing Magic Johnson. Huge feat. Props to CP3. Love to see him do well. Um, you know, he keeps playing at a high level, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, that Suns team almost uh, leading the West. And then um, pretty big news. D. Wade, part owner of the Jazz, uh, announcing a partnership with Ryan Smith and that ownership team. Um, as a Jazz fan, as a D. Wade fan, my favorite athlete of all time. That's like a blessing. Super excited to what he could bring to the table uh, with his innovation, his diversity, his just, you know, brand that he can speak into. And then a couple recent headlines, Kawhi injury out indefinitely with the foot injury and James Harden suffering a hamstring setback, which if you're a Jazz fan, Lakers hurt, Kawhi being out for the Clippers, I mean, you're in a great position. And then if you're in the East, James Harden out indefinitely, KD still not full health. You know, that Nets juggernaut isn't healthy doesn't mean there'll be a juggernaut. So yeah, I mean, the doors are open, lots of things happening. We look in the standings, I mean... Listen to some of these potential play in uh, or uh, playoff matchups. We would have Hawks versus Celtics in a four-five. Right now, the uh, Celtics are half a game back from the Hawks for home court. We got 
Lakers versus Nuggets first round four five. Jamal Murray being out, AD you know potentially coming back. LeBron timetable unknown. Uh, that would be hosted in Denver. That would be really interesting to see how they can match up against Jokic. Um, I don't think they're going to catch them, so the the odds of them catching them are very low. Uh, we got Clippers versus Blazers first round three six. Holy shit, what a matchup that would be, especially if Kawhi isn't healthy. I know Dame's been sitting out, but I think that's more of rest than need. And then the Bucks versus the Knicks. Surprise, surprise. The Knicks are a tough little scrappy team. That would be a fun matchup. We'd have some play-in games. Um, I don't know if they'd put 7 versus 8 or 7 versus 10 and then 8 versus 9. I would assume that's how it would go, but who knows. Uh, the teams in the play-in right now, we have Mavericks, Grizzlies, Warriors, Spurs. Two very good round teams, Grizzlies, Spurs. Then you got Steph, Luka, and Kristap Porzingis. Uh, you have the Miami Heat, the Eastern Conference champions of last year, LaMelo and the Hornets, the Pacers, the Bulls with the Wizards and Raptors right in striking business, distance. In the West, it seems like the 7 through 10 are pretty set unless the Pelicans went on a hell of a run. But let's talk what happened last week. I had a little bit later week coming on my Scottsdale hangover on vacation, uh, but Thursday, the Bucks beat the Hawks with Drew Holiday leading Milwaukee with 23 points. Love seeing Drew Holiday mesh in well with the Bucks. Uh, Bogdanovich leading the Hawks with 28-6-7. He is hot. He is on a tear. This is the free agent acquisition that Atlanta thought they uh, brought themselves. And Atlanta's staying pretty hot. The odds of them catching the Bucks pretty low, in my opinion, four games back. Uh, but they are 8-2 and two in their last 10. And then on Friday, the Jazz squeaked by the Pacers after Donovan left early with that ankle injury. Uh, the team put, you know, we're playing from behind. Uh, they stepped up in Donovan's absence. Bojan Bogdanovic, the other Bogdanovic, with 24 points leading the Jazz. And Karis LeVert with 24 of his own. Also on Friday, the 76ers beat the Clips at home. Full health teams. Joel with 36 points, 14 boards, putting up MVP-like numbers. And Paul George, man, what a run and tear he is on. He stays hot with 37 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists. What a stat line by PG. If he could keep that going in playoffs, the Clips might be the scariest team in the West. Uh, the Wizards beat the Pelicans as both teams are in the 11th spot and right outside the play-in game. Ingram leading the team, continuing to roll 34 points. Westbrook with uh, almost triple-double, 36 points, 15 rebounds, 9 assists. Excuse me, 15 assists, 9 rebounds. And then Bradley Bill with a, with a quick 30, even though he was 0 for 9 from 3. Pretty rough, still putting up 30. That's why he leads the league in points per game. The Grizzlies beat the Bulls as Dylan Brooks popped off. 32 points on 19 shots. Love to see the efficiency. Dylan Brooks is one of those like Carmelo Anthony-esque guys that usually if he's putting up 32 points, it's probably like 28 shots. So doing that uh, efficiently is great for the Grizz, especially as they get healthier and healthier. Um, Kobe White back as a starter for the Bulls in this one. He dropped 27.7 assists. Uh, nice to see him back in the starting lineup. Will be interesting to see how the Bulls uh, roll out that squad moving forward and the heat somehow just losing a clunker to the Timberwolves you know Jimmy le left the Timberwolves had all that beef with those guys in practice he had to put up he put up 30 points 10 rebounds 8 assists almost triple double you know Tyler Hero the bubble man the guy that really brought some swagger back to South Beach one of seven with four points can't be doing that if you're trying to make the playoffs again uh, really tough season for him 
Cat Carl Anthony Towns with 24 points to lead the Wolves. And then Portland beat the Spurs by one without Dame Dalla. CJ having to put the team on his back with 29 points to lead the Blazers. And DeMar DeRozan out there hooping, trying to keep the Spurs relevant. 26 points, 10 rebounds. And then on Friday, the Knicks keep finding ways to win, scrapping up wins. They beat the Mavericks this time, while Julius Randle, another player that's hot over the past month, 44 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists. Love me some Julius Randle. Uh, I enjoyed him two years ago when he was putting up almost triple-double nightly numbers. Last year was uh, really put up a clunker, and people are drafting him a little too high for my liking, but damn, I wish I had drafted him. He is a great fit on that Knicks team. And then Porzingis putting up 23 points, 12 rebounds, and Dachik with a 22-19 and 19 himself. Just not enough play, not enough bench, as the Knicks were able to get the dub. Moving into this past weekend on Saturday, the, dra- the Jazz dropped one to the Lakers without most of their stars. Uh, Rudy Gobert out, obviously Donovan being out, Mike Conley sitting uh, on the back-to-back. Jordan Clarkson scoring, lead, leading score with 27 points. And Andre Drummond taking advantage of the Gobert and favorless Jazz. He had 27 points, 8 rebounds. Um, the Gobert factor not in play. If you don't know what the Gobert factor is, you look at the defensive stats, supposedly he's having one of the best defensive seasons of all time in the NBA statistically. Every time someone tries to make a shot or bigs are making shots, his length is affecting the shot, which turns into not a very good conversion. That's the Gobert factor. The Celtics, though, continuing to move up the Eastern standings as they beat the Warriors. Tatum really clicking, 44 points, 10 rebounds. And Steph still cooking, man. He's probably the hottest player in the league. Really, actually putting the team on his back with 47 points, 7 assists. And then the Spurs shocking the Suns. Great if you're a Jazz fan. Uh, Definitely shocks me, though. Uh, Both teams being healthy. And Devin Vassell, the rookie of Florida State, leading the Spurs with 18 points. Um, the, the Suns starters didn't play a lot here. Javon Carter leading the Suns backup point guard with 17 points. And then CP3 with only six. And Devin Booker only with 15. So uh, Suns drop one still pretty, you know, obviously in striking distance of the Jazz. Uh, but some breathing room for Jazz fans as they slipped against the Lakers same day. Grizzlies keep winning and take down the Bucks with Giannis back. Grayson Allen staying hot as a shooter, 26 points. And the Greek Freak leading Milwaukee 28-11-8. Sunday came around and the Hawks continue to roll. Like I said, they're 8-2 in their past 10. They beat the Pacers as Trey Young makes a nice 34 points on 21 shots. Love to see the efficiency. He'd, he'd been more 34 points, 27, you know, upwards 30 shots. And then Brogdon leading the Pacers with 29 points, 8 rebounds. And the Knicks keep going. They beat the Pelicans um, this time. Julius Randle, 33 points, 10 rebounds, staying over the 30 mark. Zion over 30 as well with 34 points, 9 rebounds. In defeat, tough loss for the Pels. And the Heat trying to get back on track after Jimmy Butler called the team soft. We soft, boys. Well, Bam put up 21 points, 15 rebounds. While Shamet led the Nets. Landry Shamet, 30 points. And... Kyrie and KD were playing as well. Obviously, KD is not back to full speed. Uh, but Kyrie is a walking bucket, man. The highlights, he's just literally beating people off the dribble whenever he feels like. Whenever he feels like. Uh, let's move into Monday, right before the pod. The Jazz got back on track and beat the Lakers. Clarkson still leading the team with 22 points. 
Talon Horton Tucker leading the Lakers with 24. He's been a, a major role player for the Lakers as injuries have mounted. And then the Bulls beat the Celtics after, you know, the Celtics seem to start rolling. Um, but Vooch, Vooch, Vucevic leading the Bulls with 29 points, 9 rebounds. Jalen Brown with a nice 23 himself to lead the Celtics. They did not have Kemba Walker in this one, so that, that might not be too much of a shocker. Uh, but Warriors take it to the 76ers. Surprise uh, win here. Really just led by Steph. Steph put the team on his back again. Not playing around. He drops 49 points on 28 shots. That's efficiency, ladies and gentlemen. Joel, meanwhile, 28 points, 13 rebounds, 8 assists. Did his part in the defeat. And then the Spurs getting back on track as they beat the Pacers. Like I said, are they looking at the lottery? I'm not too sure. The Pacers seem uninterested. They're benching players, got some injuries. Derek White continuing to lead the Spurs. Him and DeRozan, really, two-man show. Derek White with 25 points. And then Levert and Brogdon on the Pacers, both with 18. The Suns get back in their winning ways. They beat the Bucks. Very tough game in overtime. This one in OT. The Suns had four players over 20 points, while Giannis led the Bucks with 33 points, eight rebounds. Suns ain't playing. They want that one seed. And then the Nuggets beat the Grizzlies in double OT, a couple overtime games on a Monday. Uh, Jokic put the team on his back. I know I keep saying put the team on his back, but Steph is literally putting the team on his back. Jokic without Murray has a bigger burden load to burden, and he has 47 points, 15 rebounds, eight assists. If he's not front runner for MVP, I don't know who is. And then Ja putting up a nice 36 points, 12 assists, and 8 rebounds. That sets the stage for this week. Little TNT doubleheader. Love me some Tuesday night TNT. We got the Nets versus the Pelicans and Clippers versus Blazers. Potential first round NBA playoff preview. While the Clippers have swept the Blazers this far. And then on Wednesday, we got Suns versus Sixers on NBA TV. Another battle of the Titans. I'm really excited for this game. Both teams healthy, obviously, as a Jazz fan. Let's go Sixers. Hawks versus Knicks, two teams that are on a hot streak. I told you my Atlanta's 8-10 in their last 10. Well, New York's quietly 7-3 in their last 10 as well. And then we have Heat versus Spurs, both trying to climb up out of the play-ins. We also have Grizzlies versus Clippers on NBA TV. You got Ja, you got PG, you got Valenciunas. They're all hot. And then Nuggets versus Blazers, another nice Western Conference battle on Wednesday. Moving into Thursday, another TNT doubleheader. We got Suns versus Celtics, two big-time teams, 76ers versus Bucks. As a Jazz fan, loving to see that complicated schedule for the Suns as they go back-to-back -back, uh, against the Sixers and then Celtics. Sixers then go back-to-back -back after the uh, Suns game, and they got the Bucks on TNT. So great primetime television, NBA TV, TNT Thursday. And then Lakers versus Mavs as well, which, you know, AD potentially could be back, which will make things very intriguing. But I'm sure the Mavs don't want to be in that play-in game as they're two out of Portland. Moving to the weekend, Friday is Heat versus Hawks. Another very good Eastern Conference battle. Celtics versus Nets. We'll see what happens with KD if he's healthy. Um, Nuggets versus Warriors. High scoring, no defense. Look at Steph. Look at Jokic. Put, put up stupid numbers on Friday. That's on ESPN. While the Grizz battle the Blazers. Both teams looking tough. Heading on to Saturday. Another ESPN matchup. 
76ers versus Bucks. You got Joel. You got the Greek Freak. You got Drew Holiday. You got Ben Simmons. What a banger this will be. And then Bulls versus Heat. I mean, shit. 76ers Bucks could be the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, Spurs versus Pelicans. Lakers versus Mavs on ABC. Hopefully AD is back by Saturday. Get another primetime uh, matchup. See what he looks like in return. And then closing out the week on Sunday, Celtics versus Hornets. Lamella Ball probably won't be back, but is going to be close. Uh, Suns versus Nets on ESPN. Another tough game for the Suns. Grizzlies versus Blazers. I mean, Suns versus Nets. You got CP3. You got Kyrie Irving. We got Handles. We got Devin Booker. That'll be a, a, a shootout. Uh, Bucks versus Hawks on TNT, NBA TV, excuse me, on Sunday. Again, Bucks battling. They're sitting pretty comfortably, but the Hawks aren't too far behind. That's a one-game matchup. Uh, it's a big-time game. And then Monday before next week's pod, which will be episode 21. B&B fans, we moving. Uh, that'll be Sunday. Ver- uh, sun- Sunday. Suns versus Knicks. Man, look at this week on the Suns, man. You got Knicks. You got Bucks. You got Sixers. You got... Who else? Nets. We're re- if the if the Suns come out of this weekend and win all these games, they're the fucking real deal. You better watch out. Uh, but on the Monday, they got the Knicks on NBA TV. We got Bulls versus Heat, Clippers versus Pelicans, and Grizzlies versus Nuggets. Lots of good basketball this upcoming week. Can't wait. Super excited as this playoff situation gets closer and closer. And I just really hope by next week's podcast, Donovan Mitchell's back as a Jazz fan. That are, you know, we're barely squeaking by the Suns. Hopefully, we can gain some ground this week with that tough schedule. Let's talk baseball. The weather's getting warmer. That's baseball season, baby. Some major headlines from last week. Not major, but some headlines. Twins with a little COVID outbreak affected uh, my Angels games. They they only got to play on Friday. Where Jay up. Justin Upton coming in clutch with a massive grand slam. Uh, the Phillies moved three players to the COVID list. Um, not as big of a deal as the Twins, I don't think. But just more COVID shit happening in MLB. And then Acuna day-to-day with an, a mild ab strain. Acuna himself is on a fucking tear. He's hitting 419, which is crazy this far. Seven home runs, 16 RBIs, and a 1.373 OPS. That's on base plus slugging. Wow. What a season he's having. Hopefully that mild abstrain is very mild because the Braves don't want him out of the lineup. And he's a leadoff hitter, baby. He's a leadoff hitter. Uh, Red Sox, surprisingly, look at the standings. 11-6. and six. That kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, leading the AL East as well as the Yankees being 5-10. and 10. Did not expect that. Bronx Bombers, where he at? Uh, the Royals leading 9-6. and six. You know, the White Sox aren't too bad, but 8-9, and nine, that's a little surprising. And the Twins being 6-8, and eight, having some COVID issues now. Really shocking, the Mariners being 11-7 and seven with their young club. Astros 7-8, and eight, that's a little shocker too. They have some major players in COVID. They're getting the Boo Birds everywhere. The trash cans are out in full force. Uh, the Reds leading their division 9-6, and six, while the Cubs 6-9. and nine. couple shockers in the standings this early. And then the Giants... I talked about them in my season prediction. They always just find a way. They're quietly 10-6. and six. I don't think they'll ever catch the Dodgers. But if they have a better record than the Padres, holy shit, the Padres got some issues. Uh, but those are surprising things looking at the standings. Moving into last week's games, uh, the Braves beat the Cubs 2-1 to one in their division series. 
They blew them out on Sunday Night Baseball. This was the Sunday Night Baseball setup. Like we said, Acuna Jr. crushing baseballs, hitting for average. Hopefully he's not out long term. And then the Phillies beat the Cardinals, and Aaron Nola just pitching a gem. Complete game with two hits, 10 Ks on Sunday. I have him on one of my fantasy teams. Not mad about that. Uh, the Rays sweep the Yankees again. Yankees only get seven runs in the three games. Again, Brock's Bombers, is that a thing? Where are you at? What's going on? Their offense needs to find a way. Their rotation's not doing much better either. They'll probably just trade for the best player available somehow. You know, it's the Yankees thing. And the Rays just keep winning. Like I said, they just they find a way. You look at the lineup, you I don't expect it, and they just they they do it. Small ball. Mariners beating the Astros 2-1. Again, Astros have key players out, but shit, the Mariners got 11 wins. And then the Dodgers, Padres, the most glorified. This is like Yankees, Red Sox of today. NL battle, Battle of California. Dodgers beat them 2-1. Uh, Padres squeaked by one win. Long-awaited series. Tatis Jr. coming back. Uh, some good little ace battles within this um, series. And they play again this upcoming weekend. So, so more primetime baseball. Excited for that. So let's talk this weekend. We got... Angels versus Astros, potentially some of their players coming back. It's a big AL West battle. Cubs versus Brewers, another in interdivision battle uh, happening in the NL Central. We got the 5 and 10 Yankees on the road versus the Indians. Indians overperforming a little bit. Will be interesting to see that Yankees offense, can they get their shit back together? And then we also have the Blue Jays versus Rays. That'll be a fun AL East divisional battle. Love watching the Blue Jays. Lots of youth mixed in uh, with some vets like Marcus Simeon. And then we have Nationals versus Mets. I mean, almost every series in this NL East is going to be a banger. You look at the standings this far, they're just beating up on each other. We got the Mets atop at 7-4. The Phillies 8-8. Eight eight. The Marlins in there 7-8. I picked them at the bottom. I didn't want to. I did. And that might bite me. Uh, Braves 7-9. Nationals 5-9. They have pitching issues Strasburg, Scherzer, they'll probably finish the bottom. I knew it. I should have fucking made that change. But that division, keep your eyes on it. There's a lot of action to be had. And if you like watching baseball games, you don't have MLD, uh, MLB TV like I do, check out ESPN Plus. They're showing usually a game a day at least. Get you some more baseball action. And then we got Supercross. Last week, I'm all excited. Ken Roxon gets the dub. Cooper Webb finishes like six. Like, things are looking good. Well, what happened this week? Well, in the 250 class, there's more McAdoo. Just eating shit on the track, taking some bruises, and he still finishes the race. He's still doing his thing. But, man, Atlanta has been rough on McAdoo. In the 250 class, it was more than eight Thrasher show. He took the show again. Thrasher finishing first. Cooper, Justin Cooper second. Seth Hamaker third and my guy hunter lawrence team honda finishing fourth right off the podium so that puts the points just a cooper first with 180 hunter lawrence second with 160 20 out not enough time to make room there and mcadoo right behind lawrence with 158 even though he's been eating shit all over atlanta heartbreaker in the 450 if you're a roxon fan man the the race looks good roxon gets the lead early it's roxon and webb right out the gate Webb falls back a little bit, battles his way back into second, 13 seconds behind. My guy rocks with a 13-second lead. Once you let him go, he usually takes advantage. 
Falls late. Webb gets back in. Stills the fucking show with about a minute 20 left. What a heartbreaker. Two races left in Salt Lake. Back-to-back Saturdays. Roxon's going to need a lot to happen to get back in. But the results of this race, Atlanta race three. Webb first. Roxon second. Tomac third. That's how the points stand. Uh, Plessinger fourth. Justin Barsha fifth. Malcolm Stewart back up to where he normally is with a sixth-place finish. The rookie, Ferrandez, seventh. Dean Wilson on the Husqvarna, eighth. Marvin Muscan, fellow KTM, ninth. And Chase Sexton, tough race for him after a couple seconds, finishing 10th with Team Honda. That puts the 450 points. Webb first at 339. Roxon second, 323. 16 back after that three-point swing of Webb. And Sexton, 10th. So with this in mind... Or not six and Tazu. Tomac third, 299. So he's a ways back. With that in mind, really, Roxon would have to win the next two races and Webb would have to like be around fifth place. So the odds of this happening, very low. Can it happen? Sure. Am I tuning in? Absolutely. But at least we got a close race to the finish, especially in the 250. Um, but damn, what a heartbreaker if you're a Honda Roxon fan. Last piece here. Usually I wrap up on Supercross. But this week, we had such a sweet event happen. I got to talk about it. I didn't talk about the previous events. But the Natural Selection Championship in Tortorilla Lodge, Alaska, hosted by Travis Rice, he put this beast together. If you remember a few years back, four or five years ago, we did an event in, um, I believe it was Jackson, maybe. No, it was Jackson. Had a competition. was lots of fun. Travis Rice obviously won. Now he wants to make it an annual competition over three locations, Jackson Hole, Baldface Lodge, Tordrillo. Obviously never been to Tordrillo, Baldface Lodge, amazing place. Jackson Hole, unanimously one of the top skiing uh, places in the country in the U.S., let alone the world. Awesome main events to showcase the best all-around snowboarder, which I'm all about growing up in Montana and Wyoming. This is my style. You know, I didn't grow up with shitty snow conditionings doing... Um, you know, half pipe doing those other type of events that we see in the X games um, and the Olympics. And those guys usually are very good at one thing, slope style, you know, whatever you want to call it. This really shows like, can you hit the jumps? Can you take cliffs? Can you land? Like obviously powder riding is a lot different, but I think this is changing snowboarding for the best for future snowboarders. You don't have to live on the ski hills. You can do backcountry things and it's going to change the snowboarding landscape forever. The idea of starting in Jackson Hole, they had like six feet of pow. That event was phenomenal. Um, I did not expect Travis Rice to not make it out of the first round, but he ran up against a guy, Mr. Mark McMorris, that was just all fucking swag, stomps all day long, even in the pow. And then they did bald face, which would usually have some new uh, uh, riders, but with COVID, people not being able to go across borders, it was kind of a Canadian throwdown. Still awesome fucking snow, awesome train. That was quite the event in itself. They did the Jackson Hole one live with the drones. The footage of the drones, they supposedly have like the best drone pilots in the world, makes this event, you have to watch it. It's free. It's on Red Bull TV. Highly recommend. One of the dopest productions I've seen. Uh, the second one in Baldface wasn't live. It was recorded. You could watch it. And then the one in uh, Tortorilla wasn't live, but they released that on Friday. And I watched it late Friday and was hooked in. Uh, usually if I watch something late Friday, this was at like midnight, I'll fall asleep. But this was so good. I watched it all. Two and a half hour production. And what a fucking event. 
I mean, Tortorillo, the fucking steepness, the features, the look, the flow. Day two, the snow got even better. Like, holy shit, I was in awe and did the riders fucking perform. Every time someone went large, the stage was set, and then the next person would just up their ante, up the level, and they would just blow it out. I couldn't believe it. These riders had pulled out some of the best runs I've seen men and women combined. And the winner of it all, Mikel Bang, he's over six feet tall and older, just full send. I uh, usually don't see guys like that get the air that he does, but what a fucking performance he had. The person that I thought would win, Mark McMorris, obviously beating Travis Rice and nailing everything in Jackson Hole. He he uh, ran into a little bit of a, a chainsaw to start. Had a you know was trying to send it. Had a couple kind of butt slides and fallouts. Um, but he sent it over this big cliff twice, probably 20-foot drop. Massive fucking cliff. And none of the women tried it, but Robin Van Wyn tried to send it off that too. Props to her. She, she fucking landed it. The women, like I said, just overperformed my expectations. Zoe Sadowski-Sanat had just done so much in Jackson, and she's a slope-style rider, just figuring shit out. Never really done backcountry like this before. I thought she was going to win, but Robin Van Wyn sent it. She was sending lines that I didn't think she was she could even handle. I was super impressed. It was just, like I said, Zoe does something, Robin does something, Mark does something, Ben Ferguson does something, Mikhail Bang does something. You know, it's just like, holy fuck, this event was so cool. Everyone has to watch it, even if you're not a snowboarding fan. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. You get gap coverages. You get uh, cliffs that they're jumping off of. Mark McMorris doing backflips, 360s. I think there was even a 720, which in POW is insane. Highly recommend, because this is why I'm a big snowboarder, is, a, is sceneries like this where you're on the mountain, you're doing some backcountry, you're getting the, these POW turns. It's totally worth the full day of effort to fucking get that. And watching this, I I, I could just imagine getting heli dropped in Tordrilla and just jizzing my pants. Like, so jealous of these guys. And the production. I mean, Travis Rice was doing the commentary of, of the Alaska one because he was out of the competition his verbiage, his pauses, he's just fucking crushing it. And then the drone footage, again, props to that. How they can mix in the drone footage with regular camera shots was unbelievable. And it gives you the real perspective. When you watch a lot of ski and snowboarding films, you have the GoPro, and it gives you a little bit of perspective, but you don't see that full wide lens of what it looks like, how fast they're going, what their view truly looks like. And the drone being behind them, you could see that, like how much elevation they're going down. What's the steepness? What's this feature look like? Holy shit, he's hitting this cliff and he has to memorize this run because I've never hit this run before. He doesn't even know what the drop's like. So he just fucking sends it because as a snowboarder, I like to say I'll send it. Like the cliff, I would have done it if I I seen the landing. If I don't, if I haven't seen someone go off or know what the landing is like, I don't think I'm just going to fully blind send it off a 20 foot cliff. That's pretty gnarly. Um, but yeah, this was badass. The conditions, everything was perfect. I can't wait for the next season. Natural selection tour. Travis Rice, man, changing the game for the best. You gotta love it. Love to see it. And last thing, we'll close the show out on my non-story story. I've been watching just a lot of new content. This is another content-driven one. I talked to you guys about I'm an Ath- I Am an Athlete podcast last week. Well, this week, Marky Mark putting out a new show on HBO called Wall Street. It's basically Mark Wahlberg's show on HBO about him running all of his businesses and how he does it. Because I even wonder, like, these celebrities, like, how are they able to juggle all these things? He's got Wahlbergers. He's got 
um, municipal, his clothing line. He's got his production company that he has somebody run. He's got all these fucking businesses. And then they talk about, because during filming, COVID happened. How did he manage through COVID? And the one company that's probably hit the worst was Wahlburgers, the restaurant chain, that he's also invested in as a franchisee. He franchises. He's part owner that helps people with other franchisers. Um, So he's balls deep into that. Great show, about six episodes, roughly around 35 minutes long, so not a huge long season of things, but really cool to see how celebrities battle through that, the drama, the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows. Highly recommend, I mean, anything on HBO, anything Marky Mark, you gotta watch, but what a fucking production that was. And to wrap it up, let's talk a little field supplements. Again, it's summertime. I've been going to the gym. I see these ladies trying to work out their butts. I see these guys trying to get their buys and whatever they're trying to build up their chest going. It's almost summertime. If you're supplementing, you're buying supplements, pump the brakes before you go to GNC. Go to fieldsupplements.com. Use my production code, production, promotion code buckets for a discount on some high quality fucking supplementation, whether you want field greens, uh, whether you want pre-workout, whether you want fuck, I don't care, protein, um, thermogenic boosters, fucking um, sleep stuff like my knocked out that I'm using, they got you. Again, promotion code buckets. Until next time, baby, episode 21, we'll be coming at you. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.